welcome to Remarkable, a podcast about the families all over the world who love someone with Rett syndrome. Jodie's seven-year-old daughter Avery has Rett syndrome, but that was not her first diagnosis. After chatting with Jodie about their diagnosis journey, I quickly realised that a lot of our girls and boys often go through a lot of testing before they finally reach their Rett syndrome diagnosis. A quick note about the audio in this episode, we did have some connection issues here and there, but thankfully, you're still able to hear Jodie and Avery's story. Here's my chat with Jodie. Let's start with your daughter, Avery, who is currently okay. seven yeah, yeah she is. and living with yeah. Rett syndrome. You mentioned that Avery was first diagnosed with autism when she was two. Yes. So what kind of symptoms were you seeing on the lead up to that initial diagnosis? So we realized probably around the time Avery was about seven or eight that she just, or seven or eight months, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. that she mm-hmm. just didn't seem to be, she, she stopped sort of hitting routine developmental milestones mm-hmm. um, that her older sister had. And we were actually a little bit more worried about her than her pediatrician was. He um, said, you know, just, just give it more time, just kind of All see right. what happens. But she just seemed a little bit weaker than um, her older sister had been at the same age. She wasn't sitting up um, right. on her own. She had up until that point had done up, you know, she, she was babbling and she was showing all the normal social developmental stuff. Um, but between the ages of about eight months and a little over a year, mm-hmm. we definitely noticed that she was falling behind. So we started getting her evaluated with um, developmental pediatrics and they did sort of developmental assessments and said, yes, she is behind. Um, They did some sort of routine uh, metabolic panels and stuff to see if, you know, there had been anything missed in the newborn screening and um, didn't really find anything, but they just got her plugged in with a lot of different therapies. We had early intervention services with um, mostly with physical therapy and occupational therapy because she wasn't really expected to be, speaking a whole lot. And then as she got older and the language stuff didn't come along either, we got plugged in with speech services. Mm. And then, um, and then the same developmental pediatrician, um, when she was a little over two years old said, you know, we, we should probably start doing more specific diagnostic testing to see if we figure out what's going on. So we were referred for the ADOS testing to evaluate for autism. And really in his mind and in our mind, it was more of a, you know, a ruling out, check the box sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't actually have any suspicion that that she had autism and nor did all the therapists that work with her and the developmental mm. pediatrician. And the main reason was um, looking back on it now is sort of characteristic and classic that she was so incredibly social and she was so incredibly um, tuned in with her eyes, so engaged mm-hmm. and, and so engaging with her eyes. Yep. And so we were all actually very surprised when, when they came back and did give her the diagnosis of autism. That was hard for us, I think, because, because she actually had a diagnosis and mm-hmm. instead of just, Oh, she's a little behind in some things and maybe she'll catch up with therapy. But now she actually had like a label and a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, but we did, we got our heads around that. And, mm-hmm. you know, the thought was, well, whatever she has, whatever, whatever they eventually want to call it, let's just, it, it maybe it'll open the door for more services and she'll be, you know, there's a lot of things that the, the autism diagnosis gives her access to that she wouldn't have had otherwise. Um, but it was a little surprising for everybody involved, including the person that referred her for the testing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but then, you know, at that point, that was, that was what we 
that was that it. was what we started calling it yeah and yeah. so we got her plugged in with aba that was really the only big addition at that point after that diagnosis was we started doing aba um, services in addition to all our other therapies. So I was going to ask you, I mean, it didn't sit well with you. That was the diagnosis. It just didn't seem like it, it was quite it. Like, okay, we have this diagnosis, but it just doesn't quite fit. And my mom, um, was a special education teacher for many, many years. And she said the same thing. She's like, you know, I've taught a lot of kids with autism and she just doesn't, Mm -hmm. that just doesn't seem like it. It seems like we're, we're missing something. And we kind of thought the same thing, but I will say one thing it, I mean, it really helped with Mm -hmm. just talking to other parents that sort of understand and are in the same boat and, Mm -hmm. and have been through similar experiences, even just getting plugged in with other special needs families and communities of parents with, even with the diagnosis of autism, but you know, broader than that was, Mm -hmm. was super helpful in terms of talking about what, um, you know, different ages kids got diagnosed and with what and what services are helping and what medication came to her diagnosis of Rett syndrome was because um one of my social media groups there was a mother who mentioned that her son had um he he's nonverbal and he has a diagnosis of autism and they had flown across the country to see this neurologist who happens to be in Sacramento where I live Mm -hmm. and he had identified that her son was having subclinical seizure activity on um, continuous EEG. Mm. And when they started treating his seizures, he started talking. And so to me at the time with just a you know, a daughter who was nonverbal and had a diagnosis of autism. And I was like, wait, this guy's in our backyard. I got to get in to see him and see if he thinks that this could be happening with Avery too. So that inadvertently is how we actually got her diagnosis because I, I, you know, called this guy's office up and sent him an email and said, I really want to get my daughter in to see you. And we got an appointment. And he said the same thing. He looked through all her records and, and saw her and did like a two, three hour evaluation in his office and said, yeah, I agree with you. I'm not, I'm not sure that we have the whole picture with the autism diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And then he looked through her, you know, records. And at this point she was four. So it was a couple of years later. Wow. And, um, and he looked through all her charts. And by that point she had had some additional genetic testing, but they hadn't tested her for Rett syndrome. And she'd had an MRI, which was unrevealing and didn't show anything. And he was the one that said, um, how come nobody's ever tested her for Rett syndrome? And, wow. and, and at the time I, I, my husband and I are both physicians, but we're not, you know, geneticists or deal in the mm-hmm. develop, we, you know, we don't do peds. And um, this was very outside of our scope. And I remember thinking at the time, like, gosh, Rett syndrome, I remember learning a little bit about that in medical school, but I don't remember anything about it. Wow. And, um, and when I looked it up and started reading about the more the classical Rett syndrome, I was like, mm-hmm. oh, that's not her. She's, she doesn't have Rett syndrome. But but yeah, we should, you know, test her for it to sort of rule it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he was the one because just because of my connection with other parents and wanting to get additional answers for her. And he was the one that specifically um, thought about Rett syndrome. Mm. Um, and, and sure enough, we got the testing back and she had a Rett specific mutation. So. Wow. So I was going to ask you whether you had heard about Rett syndrome before the diagnosis, because a lot of families had not, but in your case, yeah. you had was it a case of having like one sentence or one paragraph many years ago yeah exactly very little it was one of those things where like I I remembered back I had to sort of dig through my brain and I remembered back to like probably one genetics lecture it was probably like one line in one genetics lecture that I had had in school um 
And um, I knew it was a lot rarer. And, and again, when I, when I first looked it up, you know, and just sort of scratched the surface to mm. kind of remind myself, I was like, oh, no, she's, you know, and, and it turns out she's atypical. So she doesn't have the typical classical red syndrome. Um, oh, okay. But yeah. then when we started, to, I mean, I was, I really was surprised when it came back positive because I had already sort of ruled that out in my mind. Um, because she didn't fit the classic symptoms the that you say. Genetic testing takes months and months and months to get back. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Oh, okay. So, so it did take months to get back the DNA testing? It did. I think it was at least like six to eight months, I want to wow. say, from the time that it was sent before we got the results. And I was, I was traveling at the time. And be, I think because I'm a physician, the mm. neurologist, um, he just sent me an email. Like it was, it was kind of casual. And, and oh, I wow. just, I was like traveling and I got this email and I opened it up and it said, Hey, Avery's testing did come back and she's positive for this mutation for Rett syndrome. And I, and I was like, just blown away. And, you know, yeah. took, I, I kept it to myself. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, oh, no. Yeah, I was like, Oh, I, well, <laughs> one, cause I was kind of, you know, I was by myself and I, and then I needed to, Process. I needed to process it more and and have a chance to do more reading and more research on on sort of her specific mutation to mm-hmm. even know where to start in terms of then breaking the news to my husband mm-hmm. and you know my parents and my in-laws and her siblings and yeah um were you so. able to find information on her her specific mutation yeah i was and and fortunately i mean we consider ourselves blessed in a way that she has a more favorable mutation which mm-hmm. um there, at the time I actually was able to find a study I think out of Australia yeah um that was specific to her mutation and had been published not too long before that 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 said you know sort of the natural course of individuals with her mutation tended mm-hmm. to have um and maintain you know higher levels of hand function and mm-hmm. coordination and maybe have some, um, you know, re- retain the ability to walk and maybe have some verbal skills. And so that was encouraging to us, but it was still, it was sort of like the best of the worst. Like, okay, yeah. this is a terrible diagnosis that I had already checked off my list and, yeah. and didn't want to find out that she had, but at least in terms of being, there is that little glimmer of like, it could be worse, you know, like we, I, it could be worse. And yeah. the other thing that was super helpful to me is, um, part of the way that I process things and that I cope with things is I bury myself in information. I just have to get as much information as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. And so I reached out to um, Monica Cohenrads right away oh, yeah. when I found um, RSRT and I, and I reached out to her and sent her an email and she was amazing. She called me mm-hmm. like, I don't know if it was that day or the next day and, um, and was super positive, very encouraging, very upbeat, um, very optimistic. Um, and so that was helpful, but mm. it was, it was kind of like going through the whole grieving process all over again from, yeah. you know, when we got in the diagnosis of autism, ironically, it was, a, it wasn't as traumatic, at least for me, as when we, when we first got our diagnosis of autism, even though in my mind, it's the worst diagnosis to have. Mm. And I think it's because we had already sort of gone through that process. And now it was just like, oh, you know it made so much more sense and we're like, Oh, and when we read everything about the eyes, the eyes, the eyes, and the, yes. eyes and the communication, and we're like, Oh, this, this explains things so much yeah. better. And it helped us to really 
focus and, and in my mind, like crystallize her needs a little bit more like, okay, we need to drill down on communication. Yeah. We need to really maintain her ability to ambulate. We need to do everything we can to, to give mm -hmm. her options for fine motor coordination. And, and then also helped to find our community, you know, to, Absolutely. to reach out to other families and, and figure out, okay, is there anybody in our area that is an expert in this? Where's the closest regional rec clinic? You know, mm -hmm. who's the best neurologist? Who's the best spine doctor? Who's, you know, all the things that, so, so they definitely, I'm glad yeah. that we got the diagnosis it, when we did so we could focus on the right things. Yeah. It allows you to be very specific with your, I don't want to say journey, but it is a journey. Right. So right. it allows you right. to like seek out the people that know the best for your daughter and for you too. Yes. Because, you know, if you, if you were left on that autism diagnosis, you would be missing out a whole bunch of things and a whole bunch of people, Absolutely. like you said, the community. Um, so when you find, find that, well, the Rett syndrome Facebook group that we're on um, mm -hmm. has been amazing. So yes, it's, I think we're, we're lucky in that respect that we have a diagnosis yes, so we can continue to move forward. Um, how did that Rett syndrome diagnosis affect the whole family? How did you break the news to everybody eventually? Um, I honestly, I don't remember when I, when I told my husband, I don't remember if I told him in person over the phone oh. or in some sort of written message. I honestly, yeah. it was a little bit of a blur. I think, I think I told him because I, <laughs> I want to say I was at work mm. and I either called him or sort of sent him a text message that said, Hey, I got information back mm. from the neurologist. And then, and then I think we talked about it after that he told his parents and I told all my family and I know the way that I told my, my, I, I come from a big family. I have four siblings. Mm. And um, so the way I told my parents and all my siblings and all the in-laws and everybody was just in one big long email. And I, cause I, I didn't want to have that conversation over and over again over, and, yeah. and like deal with everybody else processing their reactions over and over again. Mm. Um, so I sent an email and I said, you know, as you all know, you know, we've, we've had some, Avery's had some struggles, you know, for, for, for the last few years and she has her diagnosis of autism, and, but this is what's happened since then. And this is the diagnosis that we now have. And our families on both sides have been extremely supportive. My in-laws actually moved here in the last couple of years to, to help be closer to us for the kids, help take care of the kids. Um, wow. And, and they're just, everybody's really, really wonderful with her and, and trying to meet her needs. Um, and so we've been fortunate with that too, because I've, I've talked to a lot of families that, you know, have mm. sort of felt isolated and, and like even their own families don't quite know how to react or yeah. respond. So they just don't, or they disappear or yeah. they're just not around to help. And we haven't had that experience. Fortunately, we have a really, really good support system for us and for her. Well, that's wonderful. I think that makes a whole difference too. Yeah. When you're able to rely on others, not for only their physical support but their emotional support because yes it's yeah. new to you too you know right <laughs> and you, you you know if you can have your family just understand that things are different um but right. also you know things are the same you're still you and your daughter's still her and you right. still want to maintain those relationships the best you can and you're doing the best you can so i think it's really good that you have so much support around you because like you said not everybody does right so Avery is now seven. How is she doing today? Yes. Today she's doing well. 
she um last night we were at a at a friend's house and these are our dear close friends speaking again of our support network we have known them since i was pregnant with avery so they've been through the whole journey with us in terms of you know our fears and our concerns and the roller coaster of getting different diagnoses and um, they have a daughter of their own who's four and avery adores and has Mm. since um since she was born and so we were over at their house and the kids got to watch the movie together and, you know, kind of play and run around. And so she went to bed later than her usual bedtime, which can mm-hmm. always throw things off. You just yeah. never know. But fortunately, she had a good night's sleep. She sort of slept in this morning. She ate a good breakfast. Um, so as far as, you know, all things are concerned, um, it's a good day so far. She's in a very, very uh, inquisitive phase. And I think mm-hmm. this is just her. She's an inquisitive child. and. Um, and she is mobile, she's ambulatory, and she still has function and hopefully will continue to have function of her hands, but oh, wow. she does really mischievous things. <laughs> and oh, so no. if we don't see her or hear her for more than about two minutes, the whole house is, goes out on like a search party because yesterday she was like exploring in a potted plant and there was oh. potting soil all over the floor <laughs> and the staircase. And then today we found her, um, she found out how to open the doors to the gas fireplace and so she was digging around you know in there and so now we have zip ties just as of this <laughs> everywhere morning, zip ties around the, <laughs> the fireplace doors um so she keeps us on her toes our friends joke that we could run a child proofing service just by Ooh. turning Avery loose in somebody's home and she will point out all the areas that they need to address <laughs> because well that's not a bad she idea find things that, right? <laughs> she will find things to get into but she's doing well today she's actually downstairs right now watching a movie with um her brother and sister and dad oh wonderful what are, i was going to ask you what her biggest challenges were um, in terms of Rett syndrome, because she's atypical, it'd be, it'd be slightly different to um, the mm-hmm. classic Rett syndrome, I guess. Yeah, for her, um, like I said, we're fortunate so far to not have been, um, for her not to have been burdened as much by the physical ailments that a lot of um, kiddos with mm-hmm. Rett syndrome struggle with. She, knock on wood, has never had any hospitalizations. She's never needed to be intubated. She's never had a horrible pneumonia. She has Mm. never, you know, she's never had a really bad illness. Um, I think her biggest challenge, well, by far and away, I think the root of all of her challenges is communication. Mm-hmm. And I think as a result of com- of the struggles with communication, um, the behavior, um, pretty much all the behaviors in my mind that are sort of maladaptive or, mm-hmm. or behaviors that limit her um, in any situation can probably be tied back to communication because she can't express, yeah, you know, even just little things. And she can't say, I have a wrinkle in my sock or, you know, I don't like mm-hmm. these pants today or, or things that any other kid could get fixed for themselves spontaneously yeah. or, or in a very short period of time, she just has to live with. And so I imagine that would be extremely frustrating because yeah. it's, a, it's a guessing game for people around her and trying to make sure that even just her physical needs are met. And then, you know, not to mention her emotional needs or if she's tired or if she's frustrated or mm-hmm. something annoys her or whatever. Um, so, I mean, she, she is very, she's, technically nonverbal, but she's very vocal. So Mm. she can be very loud. And I think that's the biggest thing that tends to limit her, um, like at school and the ability to, she's full inclusion and she's in a general ed classroom with all her typical peers. Um, 
but when she does need to leave the classroom, it's usually because she's being too loud. And so I think that, I think that's the thing that probably limits her the most. And then when she gets frustrated, um, really her only recourse is either screaming or Mm -hmm. she'll pinch. And, um, and sometimes she pinches and she doesn't seem frustrated and we are trying to figure (laughs) that one out too. So we're trying to work with her on both correcting behaviors, but getting, you know, letting her know that we want to find out why she's doing them so we can try to address her needs as well. And she's Mm -hmm. only had her own eye gaze um, speech device now. She has a Winslate. I know most kids that I know of have a Toby. Mm. Um, She has a Winslate, but, you know, her own eye gaze device. And she's only had it since last spring, even though we've been fighting to get one for about three years now as soon as we got her diagnosis. Um, And she's making amazing progress with it. And I'm happy her school um, team has been super supportive in terms of trying to, to figure out how to use it and, mm. and help her use it. And, um, and so I think that'll help a lot and she's making good progress, but that's the, the struggles for her. I think all stem from the lack of communication. And to yes. me, knowing when we got her diagnosis of Rett syndrome, the other thing that I, it's a double-edged sword. I think it's a, it's a blessing and it's a curse is the notion that in my mind, she's completely cognitively intact and just mm-hmm. as intelligent as her brother and sister. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's helpful because we teach to her at her age level and she gets all the same academic you know, exposure and curriculum as they do. But I think it's also a little bit of a curse because imagining a child that is completely cognitively intact and aware and understands everything, mm-hmm. but so limited in terms of what she can, can express for herself um, is a challenge. So we're always trying to sort of keep that in mind yeah I mean I think it's incredibly frustrating for them um to be Mm -hmm. all up here to be Mm basically to be basically locked in and I I don't want to compare the two disorders but it is kind of like that where you are expressive and you have likes and you have favorites and you have dislikes and you have an opinion but you can't Mm -hmm. express it in the way that um, that you right. want and that people will understand. Um, I was going to ask the, her eye gaze device. Is that like a computer with an eye tracking? It is. Yeah. 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 It's, um, yeah, it's a dynamic eye gaze tracking computer and then mm-hmm. has the, the verbal speech output. Oh, that's wonderful. And, um, how do you, how do you like her school? Cause you said that she's just in a, a like a, yeah. what we would call, um, just a, public school setting I guess mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's exactly. she's just in our neighborhood class. public school yep she um so when she had her diagnosis of autism she had been in sort of um autism specific um mm-hmm. classrooms for preschool yep and then when we got her diagnosis of Rett syndrome and I read you know more and more and more about it I really was intent on having her in general education full inclusion with whatever yeah. supports that she needed. And, um, and when we had her assessed by the school district for placement into the school system, um, the team that did her assessment was wonderful. And we were really fortunate that the speech uh, language pathologist that did her assessment actually has experience with Rett syndrome, um, which is yeah. so unusual because there's so few it people is. that know much about it. Um, it is unusual. <laughs> So it's been wonderful. She has one-to-one aids in every situation at school. She gets some pull-out therapies for speech therapy and occupational therapy and physical therapy. Um, but she's in a full, you know, um, general education class and has been since kindergarten. We know so many of the families at the school, a lot of her peers. Um, she just 
She adores her classmates. She's so social mm. that sometimes that gets her into trouble in the classroom too, because she'd rather socialize and yep. play with her, you know, just like I think a typical second grader than, than sometimes pay attention to the teacher. But we've loved seeing her just sort of mesh from the very beginning. And I think that's been really helpful for her being in inclusion from a young age, mm -hmm. because those kids from such an early age, they, I, I think they don't necessarily recognize the differences as early or they don't bother them as much early on. Mm -hmm. And so by the time, you know, our, our, our hope was that by the time they would get to the age where kids would start to maybe be a little bit more, um, intentionally exclusive unfortunately mm -hmm. she's already kind of one of the pack and so um yeah. she we've just i've loved her school she's had such a good school experience even the older kids at the school the other teachers um she's very well known i mean they, mm -hmm. they joke that she's like a little celebrity because she'll walk around campus and other classes will like invite her in and with her oh. aid and the older kids know her and they you know take her around the playground and and everybody kind of wants to be by her side and we, we've been really super happy with her. It her sounds like setting. an amazing school and they sound so yeah. supportive to you um, and to her. And it, yeah. I think that makes a, a huge difference when the environment there is relaxed and they're not, mm -hmm. you know, super jumpy and they, you know, don't make it hard for, for us right. to just, just be, just be a school kid and to go to school and to have right. those experiences that, you know, she should be having. So I think it's really yeah. good that you found a school like that because it's not the case in, in a lot of families I know. where they've had to try yeah. many schools um, and or to push for for, for that inclusion right. really right. hard and, you know, it still doesn't work. So it's really good that they just get it and they just yeah. let let Avery be basically yeah. And, yeah. and to to grow there. So one of the things I wanted to highlight on the podcast was the role of the caregivers. So like the mothers and the fathers mm -hmm. and the grandparents, mm -hmm. but anybody that just has hands-on ever ending um, <laughs> you know, involvement with our kids with Rett syndrome. And I know you say Avery is quite happy and she's been quite healthy mm -hmm. in terms of Rett syndrome. Um, but I'm willing to bet that you still have a level of stress and worry. So how yeah. do you cope as as a mom and as Jody, how do you stay positive? Um, I think for us, the key is really truly having a whole village, <laughs> a whole mm. network of people that understand and are capable of, of um, helping out with her. And for us, it's um, a combination of mostly in terms of her caregiving, it's mostly my husband and myself, we do have a full-time nanny that comes over early in the morning that has a lot of experience and then grandparents that live here, they are just available. And uh, husband and I both work full-time and we work 24-hour shifts. And so um, we can never work the same 24-hour shifts so that one of us nope. is always home with all the kids at night. But then that leaves a lot of time where it's one or the other and we're not both home together. And so um, that can be pretty challenging because um, – you want to be able, and sometimes you have to, there's just no option then to be 100% devoted to whatever's happening with Avery. But then we do have two other kids too mm -hmm. um, that need attention and need help with homework and need, you know, sometimes help with physical things and they need to be fed and they need to be cooked for mm -hmm. and they need to be driven places. And, um, and so I, we always joke about how we really have to be like, we live and die by the calendar and we have a, mm -hmm. we have an electronic calendar app that is shared between myself, my husband and the nanny. And 
everything has to go in there and be planned for in advance. So I need to know, you know, a month in advance, if there's a day that I have a meeting and my husband is working, like who's picking up which kid, who's going to be with Avery, who's going to, you know, and, and it's such a tight, um, it's always such a fine balance and a tight balance that if anything goes wrong, if somebody gets sick or something gets canceled mm. or somebody has to stay home, that it just really kind of throws everything off. And I, I think the biggest level of stress for me in a day-to-day basis is just that, is just making sure that everything is covered and appropriately, um, you know, aside from sort of the constant nagging worry of like, is Avery going to get sick? Mm. Is something going to happen with, you know, her schooling? Is there ever going to be any sort of like big time, meaningful, impactful treatment or, you know, but it's sort of a, I mean, we just sort of accept the fact that we probably are going to have a lifetime of, of not great sleep patterns because mm. she's not the greatest sleeper and she's better than a lot of kids with Rett syndrome. And, you know, she's, we would love for her to be able to get all the, her education she would like point. I mean, reality of whether or not she'll ever gain you know independence or if there'll ever be any sort of treatment or cure or intervention that would allow her to have that it's always looming so I think that's just that Mm -hmm. that kind of hangs over as a big level of stress but one of the big stressors for us in the last year was she kind of plateaued in terms of her weight and her growth and so then we were going down the feeding tube route and we had met with the surgeon and we'd met with the GI doctor and then and then she kind of started eating again. And so, okay. so, you know, that's like on the back burner, but it's always still there. There's always those things looming of what if something big happens? What if she gets sick? What Absolutely. if she gets the flu this year and she gets pneumonia? What if, you know, and is she ever going to have independence? Are they ever going to find a cure? But the mm-hmm. day-to-day stress is really, I think it's best managed. And I, and I feel it the most when there's not a lot of extra help or when you're the one that's in the you know, doing everything for, for a long time. And, mm. and when I feel it the least, or when I, I think things are the most balanced is when, when you have the ability to sort of switch out duties and you have Absolutely. some relief to help out um, with just yeah. the day-to-day stuff. No, I definitely um, identify with that. I think um, with a diagnosis like Rett syndrome, because we have a kind of a symptom list, you kind of in your head, uh, thinking forward to that like when is that going to happen all these mm-hmm, things can happen mm-hmm. I'm going to wait for it and that really plays on your anxiety just you know your your regular anxieties it feeds on it so right. it's for me it's helpful to not project too far into the future because you never know what's going to happen and it right. may never happen um, right right so I've kind of learned along the way that I need to yes keep it in mind and yeah let's try and prevent things like getting the flu therefore getting right right um but then there are things you that you just can't predict you just just can't predict yeah need to (laughs) figure out a way to put that aside put that in your knowledge Uh 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 live day to day right it's hard you know it takes it took me many years to get to that place and i'm still learning along the way but I think that's the only way that I could really move forward is just to I think um not focus that much yeah another thing that I feel like I struggle with is how to um how to process things and deal with things myself knowing what I know but also how to present things to her siblings and how to help them process things um her older sister is amazing. She's, um, she's 10 and she's really just, just a wonderful, you know, first child. She's a big nurturer, caretaker. 
um, and, and adores Avery. They share a room. They sleep in bunk beds. Avery sleeps on the bottom. She sleeps on the top. The last couple years, she's come over to Avery school because she goes to a different school and has given a little presentation, like a little PowerPoint presentation to her class about, wow, this is my sister, Avery. This is, she has Rett syndrome. This is what that means. And, and in sort of a, you know, an age appropriate format, mm. but because she's done that and because she's so interested herself and such a little advocate for Avery, she's done a lot of her own research. And that was hard for me when, you know, she was only eight or nine years old herself. And Mm -hmm. she realized that the life expectancy is shorter for a kid with Rett syndrome, you know, individuals with Rett syndrome, they don't get married. They don't have kids. I mean, in terms of what the you know, what, what the research is out so far. And, and, and that was hard. I struggled with that because I would like to present the front to her siblings that everything's going to be great. At mm-hmm. some point there's going to be a cure and then she's going to be just like you. And then she'll be able to talk to you and all of this will be behind her. And, and obviously, you know, I, I don't want to create false hope to them, but I also don't want to be too negative to them, but it's hard to figure out exactly how to present that in a way, you know, I, 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 I like that they, they are so close to her and her sisters told me a few times, you know, if, if Avery needs help when she's a grown up, you know, I, she can live with me and she, you know, she, she says all these things now, but I also don't want her to, I don't want her to feel the burden that this is her only purpose in life is to take care of her sister. Yeah. But I do want to encourage the notion that her, her sister may need her throughout life in some capacity. It's one of the harder things for me is figuring out how to, how and what information to mm-hmm. give her siblings to help them, you know, deal with yeah. it too. And you, you mentioned being age appropriate and I think that's mm-hmm. the way to go for now, especially when the siblings are similar of age and they're young. And like you said, you don't want to burden them with right. the reality of Rett syndrome. And that's the same, the same struggle that I think all families are having, um, mm-hmm. especially if you don't have an extended family and you, right. you, as a parent, start to realize that you're not going to be around forever and you're going to have to lean on these siblings. But you don't want to tell them this and you don't want to um, assume that that's what's going to happen either uh, because yeah. it really is the siblings are the siblings and, you know, they're going to grow up and they're going to have to make their own decisions on this. It's really, it's right. a really tricky, a tricky topic. Um, yeah, yeah. but even, yeah, even bringing up what Rett syndrome is to, yeah. to them, um, is tough. And when they ask a question, you have to kind of filter out a few things, uh-huh, especially when uh-huh. they're young and they're asking questions like, why don't, why doesn't she speak at the moment? And why, right, can't, right. why can't she use your hands, her hands to do, right. um, so my, my advice has been, you know, let's keep it age appropriate for as long as we can. Um, yeah. But if they ask questions, I think that we need to be as, as truthful in, in an age appropriate way. Right. But I right. really love that. Was it Kaylin you were saying was doing a little yeah. presentation? And I think that's, mm-hmm. I think that's such a strong way um, for her to also understand what red syndrome is. And she might've come across some of those tougher questions like life expectancy, but it might be her way of processing what Rhett's yeah. is to her as well. And unfortunately she's going to learn about that, you know, as time goes on. But I think yeah. it sounds like she is such a strong individual anyway. And I hope that, I hope that she 
continues to advocate because I think you're yeah. raising you're raising some amazing girls here. Yeah, and I I think it's been helpful for her too. And and you know, I I told somebody a few months ago, I think that there's not anybody in Avery's life that Avery's really interacted with that she advocate for anybody with any sort of special needs or setbacks or or disabilities of any form in other aspects of her life at her own school and in her own classroom. I mean, she's very, I think it makes, it's made her a lot more understanding and compassionate than mm -hmm. a lot of her own peers that, Absolutely. that don't have that life experience that she's, she's had her whole life, her whole, Avery's whole life, almost her whole life. <laughs> mm. No, you're right. I think that's the weird thing about having a diagnosis like Rett syndrome. It kind of gives you mm -hmm. another, another um, perspective on, I guess, gratitude and uh -huh. it gives you another level of strength and that passes down to your children eventually yeah, because they definitely. see you doing, doing things that are different to other families. So it does give us, give us something a little bit that we wouldn't have if we hadn't had the Rett syndrome diagnosis. Right. Right. Which is strange and sad, <laughs> but it's the truth. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we talked about this a little bit just before, but have you found any good, good resources online or even offline that have helped you along the way? I think we mentioned the Facebook group that we're both on yeah. and Brett Syndrome Research Trust. Yep. Yep. So those are the two big um, online sources for me that I, um, that I really appreciate. And there's some sort of, you know, smaller, more local, um, like there's a California families of, you know, Rett syndrome oh, wow. and, and that has more of sort of the local, you know, when there's fun, raisers in different parts of the state and and that is also how get plugged in with some other families that might be closer to us um yeah. and to me that's been really super helpful too is having a couple key families that are have daughters that are a little bit older than Avery because I can go to their parents and see mm -hmm. see what they're doing about school so we have um one family, um, I don't know if, if you had a chance to talk to me on this podcast, but um, Karen Irizarry no. in um, mm. Chicago, her daughter, Emma, is one year older than Avery. And so, and she's full inclusion, you know, their school um, situation is, is pretty similar. Mm -hmm. And so that's been incredibly helpful for me to go to her as a direct resource and say, like, you know, what are you doing academically? How are you trying to teach this concept? Um, what do I need to tell her school in terms of resources for how to work on, you know, this or that. And, um, and, and that's been invaluable because it really, it, it, it makes me not feel like I'm invent reinventing the wheel. If yeah. I have other people to go to, there's another family that lives about an hour from us. Um, and their daughter's older. She's in middle school, but, um, her mom has been a, a really, um, powerhouse advocate for really for pushing for her needs in school and she's had the fight against it sounds like a lot more adversity than we have um but the knowledge that she's gained from that has then helped us to say like you know look what this kid was able to accomplish with the right resources and supports I want you to do this for Avery too so those social media groups I think the the thing that's helpful for me is one just reading through other people's experiences and knowing that you're not alone and mm -hmm. learning passively through that Two, if there is a specific question, everybody's so helpful and chimes in on advice. Um, and then using those to find a few key individuals that can really be more specifically, um, you know, have more specific similarities and, yeah. and aspects that can help with, with our family is good. Um, 
the Facebook group for me that got it all of it started was um, because I'm a physician. I was in a physician mom's group. And then there was a subset of that group that was physician mothers of children with special needs. And that was the one where I found our neurologist that got, you know, our diagnosis. And then within that group, I know there's five other moms who have kids with Rett syndrome and, and those mothers are also physicians. And so that's helped me too, because um, I have, hundreds of thousands of dollars of student loans to pay off. Yeah. Um, and I do love my work, but at the same time, if I felt like I couldn't adequately care for Avery, I would have to give that up. And so this has allowed me to be with, you know, in contact with other people in such a similar position, not only with a special needs child, but with actual Rett syndrome, whose parents, you know, are, are working in the same field. And um, so for me, it's all about having those, having a, a community of people who really truly get it who are in the same boat yeah I Um, think that that has been the biggest thing for me also is that having a community around me um uh that that has had the experience you know even in recent years and you're able to um ask them a question and they're able to give you some guidance on it rather than yeah yeah you know because a lot of these things that you experience and are new and you have Uh no idea how to approach it or no idea what the questions you should be asking. Mm-hmm. Um, are, are the, uh, am I asking enough? Am I am I going to be doing enough? And you can right. go to these groups, and they're you know we're all strangers basically, but we right. we're all brought together with this one thing. And having you know to post something in the middle of the night, even someone's going to give you an answer right, right. really soon. So I think yeah. it's really helpful that if you feel like, especially if you've got a new diagnosis if you feel like you are struggling or alone, that you have these places uh-huh. to go. And I actually was not on Facebook before our Rett syndrome diagnosis. So I joined specifically uh, for uh-huh. it and it's been the best decision that I've made in terms of support because you need to reach out. And and it's also important to know that you don't have to do things alone, even though uh-huh. you feel uh-huh. like, oh, you need to be the caregiver you need to take care of everything and you should know everything already. No, right. it's not the case. I think that only good can come from opening up and yeah, um, yeah. asking those questions. And even if the question seems really silly and or just you, if you think you're the only one going through it, you probably find that other people can relate to it um, if you just yeah. give them kind yeah. of that opportunity to relate to, back to you. So I really like that you found some really specific groups for you because it sounds yeah. like it really helps you process what's going on and to move yes. forward with your with your life basically yeah absolutely so going back to your family you have two other children Kaylin and uh-huh. Oliver how are they with Avery so um Kaylin like I touched on is amazing she mm-hmm. has um I mean she's the type of first child that you know if we had 10 kids she would be she'd still be asking for an 11th <laughs> I mean, oh wow she, she just loves babies she loves young kids she's a nurturer she's a caregiver um she loves to help out with little ones and so she was excited from the moment she found out she was going to have a little sister and until after Avery was born and then she found out she was gonna have a little brother and has gone through the whole process of you know figuring out what's going on with Avery and processing it in her own way as being Mm. three years older than her so um she really has been sort of a little almost like a third you know junior parent to Avery she helps out with her a lot and and she considers her her best friend she told me um we were kind of laughing about it a few months back when Avery started using her her speech device more um 
she said, you know, Avery is, is the best confidant basically. Cause I can tell her anything and I know she's never going to tell my secrets and she yep. can just listen and, you know, and we're like, well, careful. She might spill those secrets one day. Cause she's learning to talk. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but she really, I mean, they're really, really very close and she's amazing with her. Um, her younger brother is, is interesting. It's been interesting for me to watch the different interactions because as opposed to Kaylin, who saw from the beginning, you know, what was happening with her and, and was sort of along for the ride, mm-hmm. Oliver came into this um, and he's only five. And so mm-hmm. it's really only been within the last year, year and a half that he's even come around to recognizing that there's something different about his sister than other kids her age or yeah. than other kids his age. Yeah. Um, and um, initially he wasn't, I mean, I, I worried a little bit about like, is he ever really going to be able to bond with her well? And is he going to come around to realizing that she needs a little bit of extra help? Because uh, the flip side of it was she has always been, Avery's always been obsessed with him. Avery also loves babies. Yeah. And young children. And so anytime she sees babies or toddlers, I mean, she is like after them. She wants to be, she wants to snuggle with them. She wants to touch them. Um, and she was that way with her brother. And um, once he got to the age where, I mean, she's a little rough sometimes, you know, she'd mm. try to grab him, she'd grab his hair, she'd pinch him. And, um, and, and no, you know, one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old wants that from any kid, um, yeah. much less their, their own sibling. And so um, he went through a period where he, she was not his favorite person Mm. but I would say in the last year year and a half as he's matured enough himself to realize that there's something different about her and we've had the opportunity to talk to him a little bit and say you know she has Rett syndrome she's different that these are the things that that make her different than other kids and this is why she does some of those things but we'll look out for you and and help you um you know not be beaten up and not Mm -hmm. feel like he's taking the back seat to her needs all the time. Mm. But at the same time, there is an expectation that you sort of help look out for her. And, and, and it's been really nice to see over the last year, him, his attitude and mentality towards her has really sort of softened mm. and they go to the same school now because he's in kindergarten this year at her school. So wow. it's the first year they've been in school together. And, um, and he really feels that sense of, I mean, he, he really, likes her now. I would say he genuinely likes her now. <laughs> and um, he also, I think, feels that sense of he recognizes when other kids at school aren't being treated well, because mm-hmm. we've talked about before how he would feel very sad if he ever found out that anybody wasn't treating her well. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's able to extend itself sort of into like we were talking about before into the way that he views other situations and other kids. Um, so I'm curious to see how things evolve as they grow. Um, I think that they're all three, obviously I'm a little biased, but I think mm-hmm. that they're all three awesome kids, but it's definitely been a different experience seeing how the older sister is as sort of a natural nurturer and the oldest child and a girl. I think there's sometimes some differences there. And then the younger one who's a boy and the baby in the family and, and only just recently realized that, Oh, this is something that's kind of unique to our family that most of most yeah. of the kids I know don't have any experience with or or have had to deal with. What's Avery's favorite thing to do? Oh goodness! So she has a few things. She loves anything that involves water. Oh. Um, 
So anything with swimming, splashing around in water, taking a bath. Um, yesterday we were at a little splash pad. Um, so anything with water, she'll come over if you're washing dishes and try to help yes. out so she can get her hands in there. Um, she loves anything that involves animals. Um, so she does equestrian therapy once a week and she really, really, really is obsessed with horses. Um, we have several animals. We have two big dogs and we have chickens and we have birds and we have a gecko and we have, she, oh, wow. she's very into animals. Um, and then she loves, um, motion and adrenaline. So she likes roller coasters wow. and like swinging really high. And it's funny because, um, we, we live in California, so we've been to Disneyland a few times. And, um, mm. the last time we went to Disneyland, um, Avery and her older sister, Kaylin, wanted to do everything that it, like the wilder, the better, Whoa. the big adrenaline rides. There were a few roller coasters. Avery was not tall enough to go on, but anything mm -hmm. she could go on, she would. And then her younger brother is, does not like adrenaline at all. Like that <laughs> just scares the heck out of him. So like he was content to just stand in line and wait for the characters and do nice, slow, easy yeah. rides. And Avery wanted like like more. I said, the wilder, the better. Oh, so more. she loves adrenaline. She loves water. She loves animals and she loves music. Um, wow. Yeah. So if we can sort of like find ways to implant those things throughout her day, we can usually, usually yeah. keep her pretty happy. <laughs> wow. Or just live at Disneyland because that's got everything. Exactly. Go for her. <laughs> I know. Wow. I know. How did you find out she liked roller coasters? Um, so she's always loved to swing and that was from like an early age, that was one of the things that we could use to sort of help, you know, regulate her if she, um, if she yeah. was upset, if she was angry or frustrated, if we put her on a swing, it seemed like it would sort of calm her. And um, we have a teeny tiny, almost like a, like a version, it's sort of patterned after a version of Disneyland, but mm -hmm. for ages like five and under, that is kind of near us. It's called Thunderland. And it's, Ooh. I mean, you can literally do every ride at Thunderland and like, like under, you're done with the whole thing, but they do have a little mini roller coaster there. And so yeah. the first time she went on it, she was in heaven. I mean, she was oh screaming, gosh. laughing, smiling the whole time. We took her on it just over and over and over again. Everybody wanted to take turns riding with her just because she it's was so having so much fun. <laughs> she would make everybody else have fun. Yeah. And, um, and so every opportunity and then even, you know, like just little electronic riding toys, um, anything that is kind of bouncy and lurches around. Yeah. Um, she just, she just goes crazy. I mean, she starts cracking up. Um, and she loves to, the, one of the, my other favorite things about her is um, I know that she's got a sense of humor because she loves to play jokes on other people. Or if she notices that other people are, um, if she can get a genuine startle response from somebody and she knows when you fake it versus when it's real, if somebody really like startles or yeah. like is surprised by something or, you know, lets out a curse word or something like oh, no. she just cracks up. Um, <laughs> and so, so she loves to like get on rides and then, you know, like she'll let go on the swing and people will like gasp and lunge for her yeah. and then you know, <laughs> she just dies laughing. Um, so yeah, it was really just by discovering her reaction when she went on some of these things that were like, Oh man, she just can't get enough of it. So. That is amazing. I would love yeah. to hang out with her. Not on a roller coaster though, maybe a little one, but I just would love to, to just joke around with her because she sounds like a lot of fun. Oh yeah. She's kind of a hoot. She's a little bit of a stinker sometimes, but, um, but I like that she has, she clearly has a, um, a pretty active sense of humor. So that's fun. That's hilarious. Oh my goodness. 
she would she would love me then because at the moment I am I'm a big scaredy cat at the moment I don't know why <laughs> but even like if my husband just sneaks up he doesn't even sneak up behind me on purpose if I'm just like doing the dishes and he's just there yeah. I will scream so she well, would love me that's how my husband is my husband has a very exaggerated startle response yeah can't control it and it's funny because He'll, he'll just be in his own mind think that he sees me. I'm not trying to sneak up on him. He's facing I'm <laughs> there sometimes or that somebody else is there until they're right in front of him and all of a sudden, you know, he'll scream. There, yeah. And, um, and yeah, she just, she really digs that stuff. That. I mean, if somebody gives a reaction like that, she goes crazy, so. <laughs> oh, she's got to take advantage of that because she's just yeah. the best day ever. <laughs> what is your hope for Avery? So obviously my, my, biggest hope would be that she can that she could shed Brett syndrome altogether. I mean, I would love if, you know, in the next two, three years they come out with this miraculous genetic cure and it's available to kids and, mm-hmm. you know, it erases Rett syndrome and it's at an age where she still has, you know, her, her young, amazing little child plastic brain that um, we can sort of catch her up and give her the best opportunity for as typical a life and independent a life as possible for her sake. Mm-hmm. Um but I, you know, I'm, I, I am realistic and I am in the medical field and I know that things can sometimes move very, very, very slowly. Yeah. Um, so even living within Rett syndrome forever, my hope for her is that she still has the opportunities um, to maximize her potential with, within Rett syndrome. So I know that her physical limitations will will be there as mm. long as Rett syndrome is there. But I would like for her to still have the opportunities to learn to go as far in education as she would like to Mm -hmm. um, to be able to choose a career path if she would like to and find the ways to make the appropriate adaptations and supports for her to have that Um, and um, really just to be able to to express her desires and then if if I know what they are I will you know go to to Helen back and jump through as many hoops as I need to to try to help her realize those So if that's getting a college education, if that's, you know, living in a certain area or working a certain type of job, um, my biggest hope would be that she's able to find a way to communicate that and then that Mm -hmm. that we can help her get the education she needs to to achieve it. Kaylin is convinced that Avery would love to do something with computers because, um, well, now that she has her computer, I gaze talker. um, But even before that, she always, she loves things where she can push buttons. And so mm. she gravitates towards computers and she's crashed a few computers because she oh. does stuff on the keyboard and, yeah. <laughs> um, and we'll shut it down. Or um, we have a couple of the little like toy, you know, like child versions of a laptop, like the little leapfrog yeah. toys and stuff. And she'll carry those around and she'll type on it like she's working on a computer. And so, you know, oh. Caitlin's like, I think someday Avery's going to do something with computers. And, you know, I was like, that'd be amazing. I mean, she could definitely yeah. computer program with her eyes. I mean, that's something definitely doable. But I just want to make sure that she has all the, she has the opportunities in place where she can do those things and that she knows that she can do those things as long as she has a way to express them. Yeah, I think that's really wonderful. I think you're right. It, it's um, to be able to express her wants and her needs and her likes mm-hmm. and to mold mm-hmm. that into the future that she she wants um, yeah, I think that's um, something that we all want to achieve with our children yeah. is for them to do what's in their hearts rather than us dictate what we right, think right. <laughs> that they should be doing. And yeah. I've been really super inspired by folks like um, like Joe Picard in Canada, who um, 
is going to college and getting her degree and she's in she's a big activist and um you know has is living with Rett syndrome but um but sits on boards and community activism boards and you know is getting a poli science political science degree and, wow. and I think there was one there was one um child with Rett syndrome that I um had read about recently that graduated as valedictorian in her class in high school in um in Florida I think it was um mm. and and you know went through school with her peers and with an eye gaze device and so those types of stories are the ones that I really inspire me to continue to do whatever I can to help um, Avery realize whatever she can about what, what she wants to do and then try to help her do those things. What advice would you give a family that might be finding it hard to balance and move forward with their Rett syndrome diagnosis? My advice probably won't surprise you. It would really just be to connect um, with as many other families as they can mm-hmm. that um, that are going through it because um, the resources are out there um, and it's not, you know, it's, we'd all like to sort of wake up from it and realize that it was a bad dream, but once you have it, it's sort of there to stay. So, mm-hmm. um, but, but you're not alone. So my advice would be, you're not alone. There's other people that have been exactly where you are in this moment right now and, and have found ways to move through it. And there's people that have, there's people that have had it worse than you that have it worse than you and people that have it better and have gone from you know, bad to worse or, or, or worse to better. And mm-hmm. so um, finding other people that, that you can bounce things off of, that you can ask questions of. And even when you don't have a specific question that you need answered, just having the support and the understanding and sort of the validation of the feelings that you're going through mm-hmm. is invaluable. Um, so I think the, the worst thing I can imagine would be going through it alone. Um, so, and, and I don't think that anybody has to, because there's Mm -hmm. enough of us out there now and -hmm. it's 2019 and there's ways to be connected even, you know, to people in other countries, other cities, other states. I mean, I don't know, I don't have any families really locally that I, that I see on a regular basis. Um, Mm -hmm. but I still feel like I have strong connections with certain families and some people that I've never even met in person. Um, just from online connections basically, but, but then that can help with what resources are in your community. What, um, you know, I, I had a family that I met a few years ago, just from my, when I was working at the hospital and and there was a nurse that came up to me and said, I, I hope that I'm not putting you out by doing this, but there's a family that you have no reason to be involved in their medical care, but they're here in the hospital and their daughter has Rett syndrome. And I think they're really struggling. Is this something that you'd be interested in involving yourself in? And I was like, absolutely. And I was like, there's a, there's, there's a kid with Rett syndrome that I don't know about like in this city. And I went over and it was like an immediate emotional connection with her mom. As soon as I said, I have a daughter with Rett syndrome. I I hope I'm not intruding, but I've heard that your daughter has Rett syndrome. And she's like, Oh my gosh, there's somebody else. Yeah. that feeling on both sides of it of somebody else that's in the same boat. And um, so that would be my advice is just know that you're not alone, find a way, do whatever you can to, to try to find a way to connect with other families. Because even if you, even if you don't need want to put yourself out there and have, a you know, like be publicly asking a lot of questions or saying a lot of things, just being able to see that other people are going through the same thing. Yeah. And even passively getting advice and support is so helpful. Okay, so who else would love to go on a roller coaster with Avery? What an amazing girl. And thank you, Jody, for sharing your story with us for the podcast. 
wherever you are in your Rett Syndrome adventure, or if you're listening to this podcast to learn more about the families living with Rett Syndrome, thank you so much for listening. Remember to tell your friends and family about the Remarkable Podcast. Share our Instagram and Facebook posts so we can spread awareness of Rett Syndrome during our awareness month in October, but also throughout the year. There are more great chats with other Rett Syndrome families, so make sure you check out those episodes also, and I'll see you then.